Welcome back to Wire to Wire with Nolan RECC. On today's episode, we feature the speaker at our fall member advisory council meeting, John Hargrove with Whiskey House of Kentucky. And we have John Hargrove here with us tonight. And John is the co-founder, president, and COO of Whiskey House of Kentucky. The project located on Nolan Lines here in E-Town commenced in February of 22 and is scheduled to begin operations in the second quarter of 2024. Prior to founding Whiskey House of Kentucky, John served as the president and COO of the Bardstown Bourbon Company. Before that, he was a master distiller and a director of distillation operations and quality assurance for Sazerac in Bardstown at Barton's 1792 Distillery. Earlier in his career, he also worked with Quaker Oats Pepsi Company. In addition to his wealth of business experience, John served in the United States Special Forces as a decorated Green Beret. Though John is a resident of Bardstown, we're happy to have him as part of the Nolan RECC family through Whiskey House of Kentucky. So John, thank you for your service to our country, for investing in this community, and we look forward to hearing everything that you've got going on over here. Good evening. And first of all, I'd like to start out just thanking the Nolan family, everybody here, Greg especially, David, uh, Devin, and Sarah for inviting me tonight and being able to share a little bit of my story and the impact Nolan's had. And just to tell you a little bit more about Whiskey House of Kentucky. And I'm working on moving down here, so I don't think I'll be Bardstown too much longer if land prices can just come down a little bit. So that's a testament to, I think, all the economic development um, opportunities here in Hardin County also. So um, like Greg said, we started back in February of last year over a handshake for this whole project. Uh, so we quickly incorporated this business. And just to tell you how fast we did, uh, my partner David Mandel and I, uh, David is the CEO. We shook hands last February, secured funding, broke ground last August, and we officially announced the project last week um, out at the site, and we're about 70 to 75% complete on construction currently. Um, what does construction look like out there? We have one main distillery. We have a 10-year plan. Uh, there will be 37 buildings on roughly 176 acres out there. So that includes uh, whiskey warehouses that hold approximately 42,000 barrels of whiskey apiece. We're bringing the rail line onto the property to serve the international market and semi-finished and finished goods in the whiskey and bourbon sector. And we're building a dry house uh, to process uh, spent grains into uh, what we call distillers dried grain with solubles, uh, commodity for the feed market for cattle. Um, so a lot goes into this business. Uh, the biggest thing I'd like to point out, we are able to move so fast because of the partnership like we have with Nolin. Um, my background, I've worked with a lot of municipalities, a lot of counties, a lot of representatives. Um, I've never seen such a great group of individuals so driven and have their things in order, all their ducks in a row, than Hardin County. So that's from the city to Nolan Rec, and it's just a testament to everybody in this room because I know everybody plays small and large parts in making all that happen. So. 
I just want to thank you all again for that because if it wasn't for all those partnerships that we have, um, a project like this normally takes three to four years to get off the ground. Uh, in other counties across the Kentucky, you can see a lot of new distilleries announcing, but they really don't break ground until two or three years out. Uh, so we've been able to fast pace this project. Uh, give you an idea of how big we're going to be out there. We're going to produce about 112,000 barrels of whiskey a year. Uh, in 2027, we're going to double our capacity to 224,000 barrels of whiskey. We'll start out next July with 58 employees, moving up towards the 10-year plan of about 150 employees on the 176 acres out there. Um, so we couldn't be more happy. How does a project like this take off? Like any good project, there's a, there's a rendering of the final distillery that we'll build in out there. I want to come back to that, but it all starts with a good team. So, um, like, like I said, uh, Hardin County's team here uh, that's represented in the room. This is the team that represents um, the team of Whiskey House. David Mandel, he's co-founder, CEO of Whiskey House. He was co-founder, CEO of Bardstown Bourbon up in uh, Bardstown, Kentucky. Daniel Lind, he is also co-founder and our chief financial officer. Uh, also a co-founder uh, and original founding member of Bardstown Bourbon also. Um, a lot of people ask me, and I know it's going to come if we get into the question answer section, so how did I get in the bourbon industry? Um, I, I just got lucky, I'll say that. So I uh, served some time in the military, uh, went back and finished college at the University of Missouri. Don't hold it against me. So um, I like both University of Kentucky and Louisville. So we don't have to go there. I hear it from both sides. So I'm just going to remain neutral. So um, I understand my place is abroad in. So I, I just like to watch football and basketball. And I'll just leave it at that. So um, we originally moved here about 10 years ago. My wife and I, we have uh, three lovely kids now. Um, I worked for a company called PepsiCo in the corporate world as what they call a lean manufacturing business unit leader. So I was in charge of increasing efficiencies on light snack food lines. Sounds interesting. So I worked out of the greater Chicago area uh, working for co-packers and light snack foods increasing efficiencies. Uh, one night at an award ceremony down in Plano, Texas, I met um, a man, named by, a man uh, by the name of Jake Wentz. Um, he was now the CEO of Sazerac, but he talked me to coming in right when the bourbon, this is when the bourbon boom was really taken off to work at a facility in Bardstown, Kentucky called Barton 1792 Distillery. So I went down there, um, um, assessed the facility. I was like, oh my Lord, this looked like this was built in the 1800s. Uh, a couple minutes later, I found out it was built in 1879. So I wasn't too far off from my original assessment. So um, I couldn't have had a better uh, starting ground uh, than Barton 1792 in the whiskey business. Um, I was still working on gearboxes from the 40s when they were making fuel ethanol for torpedoes for the war effort. And those gearboxes that once made ethanol for the war effort were now making whiskey. Um, so they had great equipment there. It shows you. A, a testament to the craftsmanship um, of, of material back then in the 40s and 50s that still is still from the 50s that they're running off there. Uh, now that facility runs 24-7 and produces 12 million gallons of whiskey a year. Uh, roughly 10 and a half uh, million cases of 9-liter product coming off their bottling lines there at Barton. Uh, after I left Barton, went to Barstown Bourbon in 2017, uh, took them through three different expansions from 25,000 barrels a year, 50,000 barrels a year, to 100,000 barrels a year to 115,000 barrels a year. 2021, I departed, 
and I met up with my former CEO, former CFO, and we saw a real opportunity in the industry. Now we're a little bit different um, than the distilleries you see on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Uh, we're going to be a little bit more operational efficient. We're more of a like a, what, what I would say a Willy Wonka food manufacturing uh, facility. All closed loop systems, no open fermenters where you get to stick your fingers in there and try the product as, it fer as it's fermenting. Um, we're not going to have that facility open to the public, but we're actively searching here in the E-Town area uh, to build a nice tasting room uh, experience here uh, uh, in Elizabeth. Uh, in Elizabethtown and also somewhere else in Kentucky also uh, to really extend the brand to have an experience uh, for our customers. What we'll primarily do, we won't have a brand of our own, we are what you consider a contract distiller. So we produce for other brands. So a lot of people don't know that. It's like in the food industry, all the soup you eat, sometimes all the different brands are made at the same facility. Uh, so we produce for non-distillery producers, meaning brands that don't have their own distillery. Uh, they just buy in the bulk market or we produce for large strategic bourbon companies that need supplemental production. Uh, so with the demand we saw out there, um, as of last month, we sold out our first five years of capacity of Whiskey House without even opening the doors uh, for another seven months. Uh, so we thought there was a demand out there. We had no idea the demand was what, what it was until we started silently going out there and cultivating those relationships and satisfying that demand out there. So we're already on a trajectory to open up our expansion in 2027 uh, right after our initial opening uh, next July. Uh, I couldn't be more happy uh, to be here, like I said. Uh, we're starting to hire our internal team on site. We just hired a director of operations. Uh, maintenance senior manager, logistics and warehousing senior manager, and an engineer. Um, we don't have the best office accommodations out there in a trailer and a gravel parking lot right now, but we're used to it. We're used to getting our hands dirty. Um, I grew up on a farm, uh, Atchison, Kansas, in St. Joseph, Missouri. We still have the family farm. Uh, so I said that's where I got my work ethic from was my parents and my grandparents and trying to teach my young ones now, but they're 10, 7, and 4. so. Uh, I don't think they've got it yet, but we'll get there. So they're great kids. But I'm going to open it up to questions right now. Feel free to ask me anything about the rail line, about our distillery operations, any troubles we had coming to the community, how we re remedied those issues. Uh, so I know there's going to be questions out there. I've heard them all at this point, so you're not going to scare me off. Uh, you can ask about the black mold, too. I mean, like I said, you're not going to scare me off with any questions you got. So any questions? Yes, sir. Sourcing grain. So that's a good one. So we are in, we're going to source local at first to get started up. Um, we have a top secret project in the works also. We can't tell you who it is yet, but uh, we are building um, plans to build a large grain distribution facility on our 176 acres right out there in the industrial park. Uh, so that project will be announced probably in the next couple months, uh, but with that, um, we'll have a few million bushel silos out there and a distribution point for all of Kentucky uh, uh, for grain distribution in the area, which will be another win for Hardin County. So can't get into too much of those specifics, but that's helping us uh, really mature uh, the project of bringing the rail line on the property and not only bringing in grains, but having a point where farmers can come in and drop their grain off, sell it on the market, and export grain from that facility also. So another great opportunity right out there. Um, but as far as how we're getting a start up before that project, um, I, I've procured some corn uh, uh, from some local farmers right down the road, actually. So 
I just bought a car here in E-Town today too, so next stop is we just have to move down here to E-Town, so any other questions? Yes, sir. I've always had the impression that what differentiates different bourbons is how fancy the bottle is, and you've kind of reinforced that since you say that you sell your product to all these different companies. Is that a, is that a sort of a fair impression to have? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question, but. Um, if you have a good story, you better have some good juice in the bottle to back it up too. So is what I say. But there's so many variations of whiskey recipes out there. Um, traditionally, there's only been three or four in distilleries. Maker Mark just has one recipe. When I was at Barton 1792, we had three recipes. Uh, when we built Bartstown Bourbon, we're the first contract facility. We had 50 plus recipes producing over for over 25 different companies. Uh, so starting with the raw uh, ingredients of the grain, the corn, the wheat, the rye, the malted barley, the water you use, the nutrients, uh, the nutrient packages, uh, the yeast, the enzymes, down to how do you run your system. Uh, there's about, right now I can tell you out at our place, we have 900 different points of control that can affect the quality of the whiskey and the bourbon that we're producing. Uh, so when we bring in a company, um, unbeknownst to them, they're going to be going through about 900 points of control with us and we get to have the opportunity to teach them a lot about the bourbon and whiskey manufacturing process and how to make a nice uh, consistent product across the board and meet their specs from a, a, a technical standpoint when they bring their technical teams on site. So I, I would say it's not as simple as just having a good story but it's definitely the juice in the bottle too. And it's the other way around too. I mean, I've seen some brands that don't have the best packaging and they have the best juice in the world. And those are, uh, those are the treats to find out there if you're, really, if you're really into bourbon. So, great question though. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yeah, so um, black mold, everybody has probably heard of it. Uh, it's been in the news lately, especially in our capital, Frankfurt. Um, I like to get people to start calling it microfauna. <laughs> it's much uh, more scientific term and a little bit more sexier than black mold, right? So um, it, it's, a, it's a microorganism that feeds off the ethanol, uh, essentially, that is released in the atmosphere from these facilities. So it's non-harmful. Um, but as good stewards of when we're moving out here, we are going to build a 30-foot berm and even build our facility lower against the residential line and plant trees on that 30-foot berm. Uh, one, for the site purposes, two, for noise uh, purposes, and three, any physical structures block and uh, block that black mold from going. And also we'll be good neighbors as far as if anybody thinks they have any growing, power washing, et cetera, things like that. So. Um, it's kind of the dirty little secret in the whiskey industry, but I like to be open about it and I like people asking me about it um, because there are people that worry from an aesthetic standpoint, from a health standpoint, but it is a naturally occurring sub a substance uh, in our atmosphere, just a little bit more concentrated. So um, some of you might know, know what it is walking through the woods. If you ever see black bark, don't run, find the still and take a drink out of it and you won't get shot usually. So that's the story I've heard around here in the past 10 years at least. So great question though. Anybody else? Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, 
how nerdy do you want me to get? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so bourbon is just a subcategory of whiskey. Bourbon is a code of federal, regu code of federal regulations. Uh, has to be at least 51% corn. It has to be made in the United States, aged in a new oak container. Can't be distilled above 160, below 100. Can't be bottled under 80, and can't have any colors uh, or additives uh, in the process. So there's no age requirement for bourbon, but if you get in a straight bourbon, it's two years. If you get in a Kentucky straight bourbon, it has to be in, produced in Kentucky at least two years old. So uh, quite a bit of rules around that. And that was really just to ensure the quality uh, of whiskey uh, during the, you know, the, if you guys heard of the bathtub gin years of a lot of counterfeit whiskey and bourbon being made. That's why they came out with those code of federal regulations. It's a great question, though. And then you get into rye whiskeys, wheat whiskeys, grain and single malts, American single malts. There's a whole bunch of subcategories in the whiskey, and bourbon is just one of those small ones. But uh, I can tell you the reputation of Kentucky bourbon is global. Um, the export business right now uh, into places like Australia, China, India, uh, Eastern Europe, Netherlands, um, the international market is a huge opportunity right now. And that's one of the strategic decisions we had in coming to E-Town was really looking for a location that could have rail service uh, and be next to a, a corridor such as I-65. So that's a great question, though. Do you have one back there? Yeah, I was just wondering if you brought any samples. Well, <laughs> not today. Um, you're going to have to be patient with Whiskey House. So. Um, at least give me two years after we get start running. So I even hate to put two-year bourbon in people's glass. So, it, you know, come back in eight years if you want something special. <laughs> so. Anybody else? So you mentioned eight-year window. It's, people get tore up about 23-year-old happy and crap like that. Isn't it? I, I think the primo spot, and you know it's everybody's opinion, Somebody like, some people like the older stuff, some people like the rarity aspect of it, the oakiness, the tannins on it, but I think the nice sweet spot, the nice balance is eight to ten years personally, and I think that's where most people end up um, um, in that age range. And then there's a lot of blending between older stuff and younger stuff that averages out to that eight to ten to twelve year mark also. Um, just. Unfortunate enough, demand in the past few years, you've seen a lot of age statements come off bourbons, and that's because there just hadn't been enough uh, whiskey and bourbon aging in Kentucky to satisfy the demand. So just in my time in the industry, I've seen the Kentucky inventory go from 2 million barrels in Kentucky, now we're over 12.5 million barrels in Kentucky of whiskey and uh, bourbon aging at this time right now. So it's amazing. Yep, there's a great question. Uh, so there's uh, many great oak initiatives out there um, in each company from a sustainability aspect. Um, this is where these big partnerships uh, come into play, working with uh, colleges, uh, forest services, and making sure we can have that sustainable oak 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years out. So uh, we do selective harvest, and by we I mean the, the cooperages, the, the lumber companies that produce them. So there is a, a great runway as far as replenishing what is depleted for oak barrels in this industry right now. And there, there's a lot of great studies about that also. So, great question. Jeff,
So yeah, great question. So um, I said like we're, we're going to be a contract producer. So we actually sell what we produce um, that day we fill the barrel and then we charge a rent of that barrel in each warehouse for every month. Uh, so we're like that middleman, right? So, but just on a very large scale, we're the first contract distillery to be designed from the ground up to do 100% contract manufacturing. Uh, so we actually see profits starting next year uh, with that business model. So, yeah, great question though. So does that mean there won't be a whiskey house brand? So we don't have it all figured out yet, but as of right now, no. But we do hold back a certain capacity where we'll age our own product, our own recipes. Now, whether that goes into a future Whiskey House brand or it goes into a brand that comes to us in three years and says, I'd like to start something. Do you have one, two, three, four, five-year-old juice to get me started? Could you help us out? Um, that's where it could go. We just don't know. Our focus right now is to get up, make whiskey, and off these bills because <laughs> how much does it cost everybody asked um, so this first phase of the project it's a hundred and five million dollar project and then in the next ten years uh, we'll put three hundred fifty million dollars into this project so it is uh, one of the larger uh, distillery projects uh, in the world right now so yes sir So about 90% 90, 90 of it is domestic right now. So, um, and these are brands uh, that are already established. So it's not uh, new volume coming online. Um, so it's a very competitive market out, right, out, out there right now. So um, these are people that are growing and we wanna grow with them. So we don't do investment barrels. We're not uh, a different option for traditional treasury vehicles uh, for investors. Uh, we only partner with established brands uh, out in the whiskey and bourbon industry right now. So we can have a long-term partnership going forward with them and they have a place uh, where they won't get kicked out, where we can grow with them. Um, and have a great outstanding partnership for years to come. So, great question. Yes, sir. What market do you have for your used barrels? So, I'll just, uh, Scotland. <laughs> so, um, as much as the American whiskey category is growing, uh, Scottish whiskey and Irish whiskey is growing even faster right now. So, even if we get 5% of that market, there won't be enough barrels in Kentucky. Uh, to satisfy that transfer uh, of market share. Uh, just to show you how big Scotch and Irish whiskey is in the world, uh, it dwarfs uh, bourbon uh, and American whiskey. Uh, so all those used barrels, uh, it's a, another opportunity for us on the rail line to put our used barrels right on the rail line, go to a port and ship them overseas. Uh, because for Scottish and Irish whiskey, they can be aged in two, three time uh, used barrels, uh, unlike uh, bourbon. So which is a good resale point for us too. Uh, when we turn those barrels around and dump them, uh, that's another uh, uh, sub-business sub uh, in our distillery is selling used barrels. Great question. Uh, you guys are good. Uh, well, if not, I'll be hanging around a little bit. I'll wrap it up. And one thing I wanna say, I thought Nolan was good when I came here and then all the support uh, uh, from academia to veterans, first responders, I mean, it's amazing to see coming from a veteran like myself. I, I love supporting veterans also. Um, I continue to support veterans, um, but it's just neat to see that um, the power that Nolan has, they're spending the time 
like this and investing in the community, investing in the people, and not forgetting about people in their community. So, Greg, David, kudos to you guys, and I'm just honored to be a small, small speaker in your guys' event tonight. So thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Wire to Wire with Nolan RECC. 